Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see everyone here today. It is a great day, a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord, to share this time of worship and fellowship together. So we welcome you. We welcome our guests, especially this morning. You're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship the Lord together. Uh, let, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. If you wouldn't mind, please uh, fill those out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter, please uh, put your email address on there. It's a great way to keep up with uh, uh, what's going on here at Community Baptist Church and uh, the activities and fellowship and worship and service that we have. Uh, we send that out every Thursday, and so please uh, put your email address on there if you'd like to receive that. Uh, speaking of things that are going on, we have several things. First of all, our children and families will be uh, leaving today right after the worship service. Actually, they're going to have dinner here or lunch here after the worship service and then have an outing to the Cates Farm and Corn Maze uh, this afternoon. That sounds like a lot of fun. Y'all going to have fun, guys? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right. Here, here's, the, here's the thing, though. Katie, don't lose any of them. I mean, this is a maze, so don't lose anybody here. <laughs> okay. Other things that are happening, uh, we will be serving lunch at the Salvation Army on October the 29th. And so if you'd like to volunteer and be a part of that, please see Christine Cornelius or Mike Sugg. And our Harvest Fest is coming up on October the 31st. Uh, that's a great uh, uh, time of fun, and, and, uh, uh, and we, we need some help with that, of course. We need some volunteers. We need people to cook cakes or to bake cakes and cupcakes. And we could use some, some cash as well to cover expenses. So if you'd like to be a part of that in any way, please see Lana Hopgood. Uh, so we have a lot going on. I think uh, Sybil had an announcement that she, she needed to make as well. Yes, that was in reference to the uh, harvest test that we have a week from tomorrow. Uh, Lana could use some cookie bakers. I know we got a lot of good bakers out there. So she could use 10 or 15 people to volunteer to make cookies, two to three dozen each. Um, we could also use some cupcakes for the cakewalk. So if you could do cookies or cupcakes, either one, we need about six to eight dozen cupcakes. We give a cupcake away at the cakewalk for everybody that makes it through the cakewalk. Uh, and as Dr. Tim said, we could use some monetary donations. Um, we, she spent $720 last year, and I think, how much do we have pledged right now, Chris? So we could use some monetary donation as well if you can't come and help. But she could also use some servers, and we could use some people to help set up and clean up for the fall festival as well. So if you would see Lana Hopgood, myself, or Katie Horton. Thank you. Yes, this is a fun time. It's a, we'll be having a free chili dinner that night, so we need some servers for that. And if, you, if you've ever been here, you know we have, <clears throat> we'll have a lot of people in and out, about three to 400 people here uh, on that evening. So come and join the fun. It is good to uh, share this time together. So let me invite you now. Let's stand and uh, greet each other in the name of the Lord and share the love of Christ with one another.
If you would, please remain standing. We're going to see our, sing our opening hymn. He's got the whole world in his hand, page 346. In his hand, he's got the whole world. In his hand, he got the whole world. Let us pray together. Oh God, we come to you with much gratitude because we recognize and acknowledge and praise you because we are in your hands. Speak to us, Lord, for your children are listening. We are listening for a word of encouragement, for a word of instruction about how we ought to live in these troubled times. Speak to us, Lord, for your children are listening, whether we drift off to sleep in comfortable beds and comfortable houses or whether we struggle for rest on dusty floors or under a bridge. Your children are listening, or at least we hope we are. Rich and poor, we hope we are listening to you today. Young and old, we hope we are listening. We are listening for a word from you that will heal our land. We are listening for a word that will draw us together in the human family, regardless of the differences of our cultures and races and traditions and and worldviews. Eternal God, lover of our souls, we come to you this morning hungering from something from you that will change the rest of our lives. We are hungering for honesty instead of corruption, for generosity instead of greed. We come hungering for integrity instead of intrigue. We come hungering for our neighbors to be fed and for all to have enough honest work to provide for the basic needs of their families. We come this morning hungering for righteousness to flow like rainwater and for justice like an ever-flowing stream. We come hungering and we come listening for your word to us, describing how we can participate in your great work of recreation. We come listening for ways that we can become a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We come listening in fear and trembling because, Lord, sometimes when you speak to us, you require us to change, to repent, to do things that we may be uncomfortable doing. But today we pray that we will have the courage to respond and to act when we hear that clear word of instruction from you. So speak to us, O Lord. Your children are listening. Amen.
testing. Good morning. How are you all today? Good. Nice looking group here. Even a kitty cat present. Does a kitty cat? Oh, it's a dog. I'm sorry. From the back with a tail, it looked like a kitty cat. It's not. It's a wolf. I stand corrected. Well, a wolf, that kind of kind of fits in with my little talk here this morning. Um, Reverend McNeil is going to talk to us shortly about, uh, to the adults, about have no fear. So I was going to ask you all, what is something you're afraid of? Wolves. Wolf. That's <laughs> not a cat, but a wolf. <laughs> fits right in. Can you give me any other examples of things you all might be afraid of? Clowns. They've been in the news a lot lately, haven't they? I know. If I see one, I'm going to take a second look. That's for sure. How about you? Dogs? Dark. The dark. That can be scary, can't it? We've had a lot of uh, beautiful moons lately, but when they go away this week, I notice how dark it was outside. It can be kind of scary. Yes? Huh? Spiders. That's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. With Halloween, have you seen all the big ones that are out in people's yards and different things? Like, they would be really scary if they were real, wouldn't it? But, okay, what, what are you scared of? Bears. Have you seen one around here lately? No? That's good, isn't it? Okay. And what are, what are you scared of? Bats. That's a good one, too. Y'all had some really good ideas there. Um, I was kind of scared getting up here to talk to you all today. Can y'all imagine that? Men and adults? You can. Thank you very much. Uh, but you know what I did? I said a prayer. Please give me guidance to, to talk to you all. And I think that's one of the things that the scripture today is 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. And uh, in the scripture, it says that God didn't give us a spirit to be afraid. So when we are afraid, what should we do? We should say a prayer. For guidance and to help us through that. Okay. Then also it says he gives us a, the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So when we think of love, what's one of the commandments? Can you all think of that we should love one another as ourselves? Yes. Got see what? No stealing. That's another one. And if you love somebody, you wouldn't steal from them, would you? No. No. So... I was just thinking a lot about thanks. We've got Halloween coming up, which that kind of fits into being afraid of the big spiders and the bats and all the things that are kind of blown out of proportion with Halloween. But then love, that we should love one another. And what's our next holiday coming up? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We have a wonderful church to come to. We have Brother Tim to lead us. We have a lot of special people in the church that can guide us and give us direction. And um, I know you all have a wonderful children's leader. And uh, and then last, there was a comment here about self-discipline. And do you know what self-discipline is? That when maybe when you want to do something that's not so good, there's that little voice that tells you that you shouldn't do it. Okay? And um, so we should seek guidance on how we should behave, how we should treat others, how we should help others that are not as fortunate as we are and have the privileges that we do. And, um, and God tells us, do not be afraid to step forward and, and to seek his guidance and uh, to help others and be an example to others, right? Okay. Will you all join me in a word of prayer? Our dear Lord and most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you have given us that we can come into the house to worship you. Please guide and direct us, uh, not only ourselves, but as we guide the younger ones in our church uh, as they come forward to lead others. These things we ask in your name. Amen.
you pray with me? Loving God, we stand in front of this altar table preparing to give from our pocketbooks. For some of us, the giving is easier. We give out of our abundance. We give to you through this church, and we can still do pretty much everything we want to do. Go to the movie, go out to dinner, go on vacation, buy gifts. For some of us, God, the giving is more difficult. Some of us choose to give to you through this church, knowing that the budget will be tighter and the extras will not be there. For others of us, oh God, giving from our pocketbooks can't be done. There are extra mouths to feed, life-sustaining medicines to buy, and rent to pay. So as we stand before this altar, preparing to give from our pocketbooks, we ask for wisdom in our spending, generosity in our care, and loving kindness in our actions. Loving God, it is our heart's desire that whether we give from our pocketbooks or our talents, our work reflects your love and your sacrificial grace so that all may know your peace. In the name of the one in whose hands we place our gifts, we pray. Amen. Children, oh Lord, I didn't come here for to stay. Oh brother, 
Scripture readings coming from 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 3 through 7. Every time I say your name in prayer, which is practically all the time, I thank God for you. The God I worship with my whole life and the tradition of my ancestors. I miss you a lot, especially when I remember that last tearful goodbye. And I look forward to a joy-packed reunion. That precious memory triggers another. Your honest faith, and what a rich faith it is, handed down from you from your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now to you. And the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed. Keep that ablaze. God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. This is the word of God. Well, if um, if these chairs had seat belts on them, I would suggest that now would be a good time to buckle them. Um, I, I <laughs> no pressure, Starlet. <laughs> I introduce uh, the Reverend Starlet McNeil to the uh, the, the Justice Coalition uh, Summit yesterday, and. And in preparation for that, I sent Starlet an email a week or two ago and asked her if there was anything special that she would like for me to say about her. Her response was, no, keep it short. Uh, she said she hates introductions. She, to quote her, she said, they make her feel like crawling under the pew. <laughs> well, I took that as a challenge. <laughs> Um, uh, Starlet is, is a wonderful, I did not know her until yesterday, um, but you are in for a treat today, folks. You really are. She made a, a wonderful presentation yesterday at the, the Coalition Summit. Uh, she serves in two positions. She is the Associate Pastor of Village Baptist Church in Bowie, Maryland, and also she serves as a minister to empower congregations for the Washington, D.C. Baptist Convention. 
She also serves on the national leadership team for Baptist Women in Ministries. going to be going down to Atlanta for a meeting in a couple of weeks and meeting some folks that I know down there. And uh, she's a professional coach for pastors and, and church planters for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Uh, she is a native of Pensacola, Florida. She graduated magna cum laude from both Buffalo State College with a BA in English and a and uh, Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School with a Master of Divinity. Um, Starlet is a regular columnist for Baptist News Global and also writes for Baptist Women in Ministry as well as Smith and Helwes, a, uh, a group that we are well f- familiar with. And she has a tremendous blog site, and let me encourage you to go out and check out her blog. It's, it's www.racelessgospel.com, and this blog discusses the intersections of, of race in the practice of the Christian faith. Ethicsdaily.com recently honored her with their profiles for goodwill. <laughs> I'm waiting for the pew. <laughs> she has spoken for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and the World Council of Churches in North America, and I, I tried my best to get her under that pew. But, uh, but you know, as I read all this in her bio and, and as I met her yesterday, I, I, I wondered how in the world is she able to do she This is a lot of stuff. And I wondered how in the world she was able to do all this. And I found out yesterday when I met her, she's a ball of energy. She is a ball of energy. Uh, she's married to Reverend John McNeil, Jr., and they have one son, the amazing Spider-Man John McNeil III. So let us welcome the Reverend Starlet McNeil. <laughs> So disobedient. Just, you call yourself a shepherd. I mean, where are we going? Where do we go from here? Thank you so much for this warm reception. I'll do my very best to live up to that introduction. Um, but first, if I might sing a prayer, if that be okay with you, I'll do that. Um, and it simply says, You are God, I am yours. You are to work or to school, turn on the television, send an email, get on a plane or get off a plane in a foreign country, when you go to work, to the movies or to the mall, 
visit your Facebook page, reload your Twitter feed, which you're probably doing right now as I'm preaching, uh, or when you pick up your Samsung 7, be very, very afraid. More than ever, living seems to be dangerous. Open your eyes at your own risk. Leave your house with caution. Perhaps it should come with a warning label. If you get out of bed today, it may cause a decrease in appetite, anxiety, insomnia, high blood pressure, hypertension, dizziness, headaches, backaches, toothaches, numbness, confusion, agitation, hallucination, loss of desire to leave. Viewing news reports may intensify these effects. From global warming to heated conversations around coffee and dinner tables when politics or police brutality are mentioned, it is hard to avoid fears of all kinds. And it seems that we have one for every day of the week. The choice of fears and those to be feared is steadily increasing. It started as a niche market but now the supply cannot meet the demand. New fears are added to the menu daily. Though mostly unhealthy, our fears are fed a steady diet. From hoodies to burkas, the appearance of fear is easily spotted and targeted. These kinds of fears satisfy our desire to prejudge and punish to stereotype and segregate, to ostracize and dehumanize, to withhold and withdraw our interests. We increase our fears so that we might decrease the value of human life. These days, it seems that everyone is afraid for their life. The Apostle Paul knows something about fear and targeting those who appear to threaten our faith the people that we have chosen to to be a part of it, and our sense of what the kingdom of God will be like. These Christians did not fit into his picture of God's family, so he decided that he would cut them out, literally. Before his conversion, Paul used to target Christians because they did not believe as he did, and he was fully persuaded that he was doing God's work. Devout and deadly, Paul was breathing threats of murder and praising God with the same tongue. With bloody hands, he was praying to God and dragging Christians out of their homes. Brilliant, well-spoken, and of high standing in his community, Paul was studying the scriptures and holding prejudices in his mind at the same time. He believed in the God of love while hating some of the people God created. And for him, there was no contradiction, but the two went hand in hand. Paul thought that he was right to kill Christians, that he was only removing people who were not a part of God's plan. But when confronted by Christ, he learns that he's actually persecuting the Lord. Jesus was taking their suffering personally. And Paul finds out that he has mistaken their identity. And with that, Paul's vision of humanity is changed forever. Paul goes from persecutor to preacher, from bully to believer, from murderer to missionary. Paul's story is a case and point made by Thomas Merton, who said, A faith that is afraid of other people is no faith at all. After being a student of fear, it is only right that he offers a lesson. Far more personal in tone, this second letter, written to Timothy, captures the last words of a man soon to be executed. Not for the murder of Christians, but for the message of Christ. His life marks an extraordinary turn of events. Paul is alone, except for Luke. 
abandoned by Demas and deserted by the people in the province of Asia. It is at the end of Nero's reign, a ruler remembered for his perverse mind and persecution of Christians. Nero, still a young man, ordered the execution of his mother. Clearly, he was not a mama's boy. (laughs) He would later commit suicide, just a year later. Unlike the first letter written to Timothy, where Paul expresses the hope of seeing his son in the faith, Paul writes, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Consequently, it is a letter of reflection and remembrance, reminding Timothy of the unfeigned faith of his foremothers, a faith that Paul believes resides in Timothy. He calls attention to the gift that is in him, a gift that, though given by God, must be encouraged. It must be stirred up. It is an internal endowment that, consequently, cannot be brushed off, separated from him, or stolen from his person. But it is within, a gift placed on the inside during his ordination. Paul refers to it as that good thing which was committed to you. And then there is the fear. Paul is not talking about the innate emotional response to the threat of danger. He's not talking about fear as a survival mechanism or that often related to phobias. He's not talking about sweaty palms or knocking knees, stammering speech, or those moments when your mind goes blank due to excitement. Paul points out the history of faith in Timothy's family so that he would not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. This faith did not start with him, and he does not stand alone. It is an inheritance of belief that is to be treasured and not tossed aside because there are, in the cloud of witnesses, two of his own. Paul invites Timothy to recall his gift so that he would be confident of the message of Christ in the face of opposition and persecution. So then Timothy can make no claim that he had a hand in his calling. The faithfulness of the gospel message, its worth despite the suffering of its messengers, and the blessed assurance of a life lived for God is repeated throughout. Paul says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds. Oh, but the word of God is not bound. He tells Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul seeks not only to remind Timothy of the value of discipleship, but he instructs Timothy to prompt those he might train to teach others, saying, uh, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Paul seems to speak to every fear past, present, and future in his final letter to Timothy. He even addresses the fear that Timothy might have for his own life. And so he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. It seems that Paul understands the pervasive and consuming nature of fear, and he refers to it as the spirit of fear. In this particular passage, it is that of timidity, of of cowardice, that is not to be the vital principle or the mental disposition of a believer. Fear should not be the law that govern us. Cowardice should not be the standard for our existence, the origin of our opinions. This kind of fear should not be found in the company of our beliefs. 
Boldness, not timidity, should characterize our thoughts, influence our temperament, and determine our perspective. But in a time when there are terror plots and terrorists, both foreign and domestic, that now scar the cultural memory of America, this is sometimes easier said than done. It is this feeling of dread that is used to manipulate and control our responses and interactions with others. It has created a kind of panicked society where every bag is a potential bomb and every body a potential harbinger of death, where even the skies are no longer friendly. Everyone is a suspect and everyone is suspicious. And since the appearance of evil is not as identifiable as our prejudices would have us to believe, we live our lives fearfully. And fear is in abundance. But our fears do not protect us, but hurt us. They are not the source of our confidence, but our ignorance. This fear is not the cause of our strength, but a sign of weakness. It's not wisdom but the cause for poor judgment. Fear appears all-knowing, and our inexperience only builds its resume. Fear may even seem eternal when we choose not to participate in our lives and engage others for ourselves. Many of us are fearful of days named yesterday and tomorrow. So much so that it is often difficult for us to live in the moment. We are afraid of people long dead and buried and those we have never seen. We're afraid of places we don't have to return to and places we've never gone. We are afraid of what will be and the consequences of what we have already done. Sometimes our fears get the best of us while our lives get the rest of us. Fear is a thief that robs us of the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It is a familiar acquaintance, the gossiper, that always has something negative to say about the presence of any of them. Fear is the storyteller who lulls our lives to sleep with its tragic and fictional tales about them. But this spirit of fear, of cowardice and timidity can cause our spiritual health to suffer and restrict the practice of our faith as the sacred lies of fear have often trumped that of Holy Scripture. Fear of failure can diminish the strength of our purpose. Fear of isolation can dilute the force of our convictions. Fear of death can take away our excitement for life and living. It can rob us of the energy to simply exist. Fear of rejection can prevent the pursuit of love. Fear of pain can cause us to withhold it from others, and the fear of abandonment will stop us from ever coming to love. It can determine our relationships, the depth of our commitment, and our emotional proximity to those we love and to those who want to love us. Once perceived as a trusted advisor, fear becomes our captor and our thoughts are subjected to its rule. We surrender our control, our discipline, our minds to fear. We are fed a constant diet of social predictions and historical cultural speculations. Our conversations become circular. We move only to return to the same location. We act only to repeat the same behaviors. We exist but it is only in a manner that is safest. We're guarded on either side by seemingly unending and ever-present questions that begin with, what if? But what is fear doing to us? What has fear really done for us? What good has fear done? What triumphs? accolades and accomplishments can be attributed to fear. What success has it brought us? What truth has it given us? How has fear made our lives better? 
Fear is a rude and jealous presence that interrupts the voice of opportunity and bullies newness into a corner. Fear does not share, it does not play well with others, and it picks fights frequently. Fear pushes our purpose down and pulls its hair. It takes away our lunch money and anything else that is to benefit our lives. And it speaks harshly to the voice of hope that is within us. But God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear. It is not from God because God does not want us to live life afraid. Proven by the many times that Jesus expressed it to his disciples, he says, take heart, have courage, do not be afraid or be of good cheer some 125 times. It is his most common command. And yet we break it routinely, regularly, right on schedule. Jesus said to his disciples and says to us today that no matter what or who surrounds us, we must have no fear. We must not be afraid of mystery, for it will be revealed of the death of the body because they are not able to destroy the soul of the intentionality of God's care for us because the very hairs on our heads are all numbered must have no fear because Jesus is here. And he promises, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. So why are we afraid? Like Timothy, I believe that life and its experiences of pain and loneliness and doubt can cause us to become forgetful. Like Timothy, we need to be reminded of our faith heritage, of God's calling upon our lives, and the gifts that are within us. We need to listen for the challenges of the Spirit to ensure that our power is compassionately displayed, that our love is durable and resilient, and that we have the mind of Christ, one that is subjected to the power and love of God. So have no fear. And it strengthens our resolve to face tomorrow because we know who holds it. Have no fear. And it enables us to receive and express love, assured that we will always be loved by God. Have no fear. And it allows for a mind that is calm and disciplined, even when facing the unknown, confident that God knows it all. Hold on to the word of God. And do not allow fear to overpower you, to compromise the command to love others as you love yourself, or to become a prisoner in your own mind, unable to even think a courageous thought. Have no fear. Amen. Told you, didn't I? And I leave you with this question. What are you scared of? (laughs) What are you scared of? You know, we have, I'm not going to preach the sermon again, but, but just to recap, we are afraid of so many things and our fears cause us to do Sometimes the unspeakable. And yet Jesus says, have no fear. Let's throw that fear away. Let's throw that fear of the unknown, the the unknown thing, the unknown circumstance, the unknown person who's different from us. Let's throw that fear away. Because God. God's in control. And Jesus is here. Right? I'm done. Except for one thing. I'm going to add to your sermon just a little bit. Because the scripture 
says something about fear and how to overcome fear. And I think it's, I'm, I, I'm having a hard time uh, coming up with the, the, the chapter and verse here. I think it's in Hebrews. But here's what it says. Love casts out fear. Let's sing about love. Because you know what? We are one in the bond of love. And that ought to overcome any kind of fear that we have. So let's stand and let's sing together. We are one in the bond of love. Thank you, Starlet, for a, an amazing um, word to us today from God. And we are so grateful for you and for your presence, for your ministry, for what you do, and for sharing that with us today. Um, one thing before we, before we leave, um, we have a couple of things going on. We need some help removing the chairs, but we don't need to remove all of them because we will have a bereavement uh, dinner tomorrow. So we'd like to ask if you would... Um, uh, stay around for just a moment to help set up some tables for that. And Pam will direct that and, and so that she can uh, get things decorated for the uh, bereavement. And uh, Actually, that's on Tuesday, not, not tomorrow. I think I said tomorrow, but that will be Tuesday. Yes. Let us, let us bow for our benediction. Oh, God, we have heard and we have listened. Your Spirit has spoken. And so now let us ponder. Let us stew in it, in our comfort and in our discomfort. Let us be stirred to action as we seek your truth and the establishment of your kingdom. Your beloved community where all the dividing walls that separate us have been torn down. That is your promise. That is our desire And that is what we are working for, O God. That we may not fear those that are different from us. That we may not fear the unknown. But you have brought us together in the bond of love. So bless us with your spirit of truth and justice. And encourage us along our way. Amen. Thank you.